Let's begin now. Welcome to uh, After Hours. Jay Binkley with Blake. Blake Sneeders. That's no it, dust, baby. man. He'll be back here Tuesday. Got a lot of fun tonight talking a lot of Kansas City Chiefs action. The first day of uh, franchise tags. You can do that now until March 5th. Don't know if you're a big franchise tag guy, but. Uh, oh, I'm all in for it, man. Are you in for it? I- I'm in for it. You know, sometimes, sometimes it, uh, as much as you love a player. You got to make the team work, and as long as they're on board and they're happy with it, then let it go. See, I'm curious, though, what people want. I mean, a lot of times emotions run high when you win a title, right? I remember, you know, the people that uh, weren't real wild about Alex Gordon, and then it came to the point where they win a World Series with them, and they're like, oh, all right, let's get, you know. No one had a real problem with the contract. There's a few naysayers, like, you don't need to pay Alex Gordon, but then they, then they paid him. They paid him a lot compared to what the Royals paid as far as a high contract at that point in time. What they went to, and he went to lunch, and someone bought his lunch for him, you know, and everybody's excited about it. But in the grand scheme of things, was that a sentimental signing? Was that where you'd say, this is sentimental because we like this guy? I I would say the Alex Gordon one was. But at that time, the, the Royals didn't really have a whole lot to go after. So I think that they threw the money at the, somebody who's brought the not only the team but the community Quite a lot of uh, things to cheer about over the years. So I do believe it was a sentimental signing, but, you know, Alice Gordon's a Royals legend. Hey, no question. No question. But the bottom line is you think about this defense and you think the direction of going in. I was on with CDOT, and he asked me what I think they will do with Chris Jones. And I said that if with these current agents, it's going to be tough. These current agents, you saw what happened to them. You saw the holdout. You saw him miss game one. It was his Cats brothers, his agents he has. And then all of a sudden, you know, he makes this uh, at the parade where he's talking about, you know, repeating and three-peating and stuff like that. Then the, the, what the agents got on Twitter and said, hey, bartender, cut him off, right? It's like, so if you get different agents, maybe. But right now it's $32 million. And if you're saying, all right, this team's got other areas to do. We have left tackle to worry about. You got backup running back at this point to worry about. You got other wide receivers to worry about. You need a backup tight end to Travis Kelsey. You have one defensive line under contract, Neil Farrell. That's it. And if you want to put $32 million on Chris Jones and say, all right, we have Chris Jones back, you know, sentimental value. We like this guy that's about to turn 30 years old. Again, you can be as sentimental as you want, but part of the reason the Chiefs continue to add rings is they part ways and they find a way to draft and develop. Tyree Kill, Exhibit A. They lose the best receiver in the National Football League on a team starving with wide receivers, and they're back-to-back Super Bowl champions. Because they said, you know what, we could spend, you know, we could Trey McDuffie added to this team and other pieces. The Chiefs can add other pieces and don't need somebody like this. The Patriots in the Miller Dynasty years, they got rid of Ty Law. Ty Law was a sentimental favorite. But they move a different direction. The Colts, before they'd won a ring. Edron James, leading rusher ever, right? There with them. They got rid of him. They go and draft Joseph Adai, and they win a Super Bowl with it. I mean, sometimes sentimental choices, what do they always say, GMs? If you listen to the fans, you'll be one of them. <laughs> yeah, no. 
Um, and, and that's I think that's the hardest part that people don't realize about being a GM is as much as the fans like to, you know, they get on the radio, they call in here 610 Sports Radio, and they, they like to tell you their opinion. But as a – they're not the ones running the organization. They're not the ones running the company, okay? They've got to make smart choices for the future. And I think a lot of times that's going to make you either very popular or unpopular. And we've seen it go many different ways in the past. I mean, hell, I remember when when we had the chance to re-sign Jared Allen and Carl Peterson shipped him off to Minnesota. I was very hurt as a fan. The former guy drafted as a long stamper. Exactly. Idaho State. I was very hurt as a fan. And I think that was a bad choice at that time. But that's just my opinion. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. It's very popular. Chris Jones, I love watching Chris Jones play. I ain't going to lie. I love it. I like his energy. I like his attitude. I like the way that he... uh, I like the way that he uh, becomes a team leader. He is a team leader. I look at him as that leader on defense. Like, I look at him in that direction. The cornerstone. But $32 million, is it going to bite you? Like, if they don't win it next year, if they do, it's anything's worth it. As long as you win titles, it's anything's worth it, right? Well, what do you say in three years? What do you say at that point? Is like all of a sudden hamstring you when you can't go out and sign a bunch of different guys that you want? Because I'm on signing Team Pat. I'm on replacing, and I know they won Super Bowls without it, but he he worked hard at this. This was not easy, what he did. Winning a Super Bowl with a team that led the NFL in drops. They did not make his life easy. They were winning games by three points. When they probably, honestly, there's a couple games they probably could have won by 21. Well, and how many of those games were there so many drops and the offense wasn't playing up to the expectations of the fans and probably even the organization, but... The defense was the reason you were able to win those games. Good here's Tony cost him two games, including game one against Detroit. Ball bounces off him right in the Brian Branch pick six. Offsides against Buffalo, boom. The throwback from Kelsey didn't matter. But I don't want to lose Legereus Sneed. Like that guy is 27 years old at this point. And Legereus Sneed plays with an attitude I've not yet seen before. His versatility, the things that he can do, is unbelievable. I think he's great for the young corners, young safeties. I think he's great for a guy like Shamari Connor that was drafted last year. One of my favorite draft picks. My favorite draft pick the night of the draft. Y'all know Rasheed Rice had a great year, and we did our draft grades on Character Concerns podcast, and we'll put those out tomorrow for the Chiefs and the, the draft grades because I love Shamari Connor. I mean, guy played all those special teams. Guy was a huge role. Well, and when his, his number was called upon, he, he stepped he up. It. And he Every did, time. Played almost 100% of the snaps in that Buffalo game because uh, Mike Edwards gets hurt. But, again, you can't pay everybody. It sounds great. We need the whole core here, but you can't do it. Tyreek Hill proved that to you. But this team is too strong for one. To be honest with you, this team, Kelsey Mahomes is a great combination. But to be honest with you, Mahomes is the most important player that they've had or ever had with this organization. It's not even close. It's Patrick Mahomes and everybody else. As good as everybody else is, it's him and nobody else. Now, if I'm not mistaken, there were reports, and I don't know how factual these were, but I believe they were, that he was talking about restructuring. Yes, right before I believe the, that's right, factual. Almost right before the Super Bowl, I, I read a report on this. And has there been any update on which way they decided or, or deciding no, but they, but they to would, do that? It'll free up over $30 million. Yeah, it was just a simple 
restructure. And the, the contract was put together for this type of deal. Exactly. Tom Brady's deal was put together for this kind of action. Peyton Manning's deal was put together for this kind of action. Quarterbacks that are not selfish, quarterbacks that see the big picture. Yes. They're going to be, get paid. It's just a matter of when. And they know they're going to because you know why? They're about chasing rings. They're ring hunters. And they're, they're about building legacy. About building legacy in this game. And you can't do this being alone. You can't do this. You need talent around you to help you win Super Bowl rings. And these guys get it. They understand it. They know what it takes to win. Mahomes knows what it takes to win and who it takes to win to get there. They believed in these receivers all along. Were they the best for him at times? No. He had to rely on a rookie wide receiver. Rasheed Rice. And what a pick that was from the Chiefs. What a pick that ended up being from the Chiefs. He's better than Zay Flowers, better than Jordan Addison, better than all these guys. Put a better numbers than them. He, he was second in the NFL in, in receptions and yards from rookie. Laporta had more catches, but he's a tight end. As far as receivers, he was number two, only behind Puka. And he had the greatest rookie season ever. He also <laughs> set a record in the postseason with 26 catches. Never been done. Yeah. Did you realize that Puka... You know, a fifth-round pick, right? Puka Nakua. Are you giving the Rams ultimate credit for drafting Puka? We can play this game with Jared Allen, too. You're giving the Rams total credit for drafting Puka. Are you, do you look at it and say, man, did they hit a home run on Puka? Oh, well, I would say this. They hit a home run by taking a wide receiver, and he turned out to hit his own home run by how much he worked, how much he – I mean, he was a corner – he was a, a – a, a cornerstone piece, especially when Cooper Cup got hurt earlier in the season, they said, hey, this guy's been working his dang tail off the entire offseason, the entire rookie preseason, and now getting into games, he's reliable. So, yes, they hit a home run 100%, but I don't know when they took that swing if they thought that ball was going out. Yeah, I'm surprised. I thought the Chiefs, to be honest with you, because they BYU guy. I'm surprised he went on their yeah. radar, especially Andy Reid. Especially Andy Reid, yeah. Did you know the Rams had seven players taken before they took Puka? Do you realize the Rams had four fifth-round picks? Four fifth-round picks, and they took Puka last of the fifth-round picks. The fourth of their fifth-round picks. So it's hard for me to give him a ton of credit because, you know, he's half this good. You're not taking him with your fourth, fifth-round selection. They got him, so yeah, they got it, but they still passed on him. Seven other times yeah. before they drafted Puka. So let's not get crazy on unless their drafting they just development. Really, unless they just had the foresight to think nobody's going to draft that guy. But I doubt it. <laughs> they took they took a flyer in a position that they thought they needed, yeah, they needed maybe help Maybe some with. promise, you know, they like, like him. Hey, there could be some upside, you know. And he ended up hitting a home run. Now, you could say the same thing about Isaiah Pacheco, though. Almost the exact same thing. But running backs, a little bit different than wide it, receivers it is. It as is. far as their value to NFL teams. Yes, and, and you've seen that drastically change over the past three, four, five years where running backs seem to be a dime a dozen no matter if they're taken in the first or the seventh round. Wide receivers, it doesn't tend to lean that way. But, uh, you know, like obviously Rasheed Rice, second-round pick. Puka Nakua, what, fifth? Fifth-round pick? Fifth-round, yeah. fourth, fifth-round selection of uh, yeah. the Rams. So, and, and this just goes to show you, there are no absolute experts. Pick 177 in the draft. So 176 players went before the NFL leading receiver. There are no absolute experts when it comes to the draft, but there's guys that are dang good at it. Now, you could say Brett Veach is one of those guys who constantly seems to hit in late round picks. Legereus Sneed, Watson, Pacheco. Trey, Trey Smith, yeah, and that was a me- that was a medical thing, or else he would have been gone first, second, third round. 
And they saw the value in that. It was funny because yeah. I remember when the draft happened, right? And they interviewed these guys. You knew who had a draft hat on? It was oh. him. You know, they only give draft hats to people they think are going to be first three rounds. Of course. And he had one. <laughs> but, I mean, late rounds. I mean, Jalen Watson last year played in the Super Bowl. He had five rookie defensive backs playing in the Super Bowl. Uh, Nazi Johnson, the seventh round, the last pick they had in the draft last year, showed promise until he tore his ACL before the season started. Mm-hmm. He actually played in the Super Bowl last year. Mike Dana, a fifth-round pick. Legereus Sneed, as you said, a fourth-round pick. Um, Nick Allegretti, a seventh-round pick in 2019. Starter in the Super Bowl. A guy that they needed to step in for tuning, and he did it. Again, they don't win rings without Brett Veach drafting because the draft picks made a difference for this team. Oh, and trades, too, and also grabbing people from practice squads. Have you ever heard of Harrison Butker, the guy uh, <laughs> setting postseason records I for think, kicks? I think his name rings a bell. That was uh, Brett Veach's first move was going to, because uh, Dave Tobin and him uh, liked him from what he showed uh, in the Panthers to the preseason in college back at Georgia Tech. And went and snagged him. Just saying, man, he had 21 of his previous 22 draft picks still in this roster before the season began. 21 to 22. Only only guy in the NFL with that. And you could say, well, okay, so you kept your draft picks. Well, it's one thing if you're Arizona. You know, it's one thing if you're the Cleveland Browns. It's another thing if you're winning it all in the Kansas City Chiefs with having that many draft picks on your team. Yeah. Because if you're going to pay Mahomes the most cap hit ever for an NFL team, you got to strike gold in another place. Like the 49ers only paid Brock Purdy 0.03% so they could have the Debo's and the Brandon Ayuk's and the Bosa's and all this. You can pay those guys because you're not paying your quarterback crap. Well, now they're going to have to. And I've always said, pay your quarterback, then win, then talk to me. But don't but pay your quarterback and then see what happens. Can you maintain being good? You think the 49ers could maintain this style of play, given Purdy the kind of money that Burrow and Mahomes and Herbert are getting? No, it's impossible. Josh Allen, you think they could keep this up? No, because they couldn't have all the other luxuries. You can't have everything. No. When you got Ayuk, you, you got Samuel, you got Trent Williams, and these are all offensive weapons. Not even talking about the defense. You got Samuel, you got Ayuk, you got Debo. Oh, and uh, on top of that, the you, Chiefs got, or Trent Williams. you got McCaffrey. Okay, and then you, you're, you're playing with house money with Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. You, hey, you're lucky. You're winning with a quarterback that you are not paying anything. That's even eating macaroni boxes for dinner. Probably still buying but giant packs of ramen noodles. Yeah. And I'm sure if his mom lived there, he'd live with his mom. We have seen them in the NFL, you know. Oh, yeah. Tommy DeVito Heck, some lives mom. with his parents, doesn't he? Tommy DeVito? Uh, I believe Tommy I think does. He does. Uh, some, I think Tommy does. Smart. Make, I would do it. Some people make their moms their agents. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Got uh, Vinny Iyer at 630 coming up. It's from uh, Sporting News. It's draft guy from Sporting News. He's got his latest mock out. I've had Vinny on. He's been on Jeopardy before, too. Vinny's good. I like, I like, I like Vinny. But I got Vinny coming up at 630, then Ron Kopp at 7 o'clock. As we break down with the Chiefs' biggest needs. The Chiefs' biggest needs heading into right now. The offseason, since we're in the offseason now, franchise tag today through the 5th of March, and then boom, next Thursday, the first day of the NFL draft, for whether they're there before that, but as far as competition on the field, the the, uh, the 29th when defensive linemen uh, get into action. More of that, plus why this Chiefs team is special next. 
You're listening to After Hours with Dusty Likens on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Brought to you by Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views. Blake Sneeders, the Dust Man, back uh, tomorrow. We were here last week. Form was weird last week. It was weird. I would say, yeah, that Wednesday was pretty weird. It felt like uh, the week was a month. Yeah. To be honest with you. It felt like the uh, week was a month. But Ron Kopp coming up at 7 o'clock, the lead analyst, arrowheadpride.com. As we dive in, he had a great article on the top five positions of need for the Chiefs in this offseason to repeat. And again, it's about reloading, restocking, going out because the Chiefs have reloaded. They've rebuilt. Last year was kind of that way, and they went with the seventh-round running back leading their team, and they had five rookie defensive backs playing for them. This year, the leading receiver was a rookie. I mean, they've had to go young. They have the youngest defense in the NFL. They spent seven to ten picks two years ago on defense, five out of seven this last year on defense, except for Friday night when they got Rasheed Rice and Wanya Morris. But it's been about defense, 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 finding a different way to win. Patriots found different ways to win, right? So they were all defense in the beginning. It was Troy Brown, Deion Branch, those kind of guys winning rings. And then Troy Brown flipping and playing the other side of the field the next yeah. year. Yep. I mean, it's what they did. And the Chiefs found out who and what they were in the direction they're going, and they did it. But I still think the MO is the offense of this team. Hey, the defense playing is great, but it doesn't need to be that good if Patrick Mahomes is lighting the scoreboard up, 30-balling everybody. Like, it does not have to be as good. It was damn good this year. It was fun to watch. This defense was fun to watch. But again, it doesn't have to be as dominant if you're 30-balling people. And you know what? As long as you have this secondary that shuts down opposing wide receivers from doing damage to you like we've seen in the past, like Jamar Chase of the past, receivers would dominate. Not not anymore. This this defense wasn't dominant. These these, these Defensive backs did a great job. Spent first-round picks the last two years on edge, and uh, Felix give him an um, incomplete grade for this year. Carl Loftus, people don't realize he had just as many sacks as Nick Bosa. Just as many sacks and not nearly the contract. They both had 10 and a half sacks this year. He's one, Carl Loftus is one of those guys that you knew when you drafted him, he was one of those nitty-gritty, I'm-going-to-work-hard guys. Was he going to ball out the first year you got him? Probably not, but he had such the mental capacity to learn the game at the speed of the NFL that he made such strides in the second year. And just second year in, he's already, in my opinion, one of those key parts on the defense. Yeah, yeah, you talk about your Jones, your Sneed, your McDuffies, your Justin Reeves, your Nick Bolton. Like, there's so many names on the defense, but one of those guys that is game in, game out, dominating at his position uh, in incremental steps each week in and week out. George Karloftis, and I think that was such a big hit for Brett Veach. He's got a he's got a big time motor, I, big I, time. I, you know what? I, I, Jeff Brom was his head coach at Purdue at the time, and when they selected him, we had him on. He came on to talk to us that that Saturday. It was in the aftermath of them picking him during the week on the Thursday night. We had him on Saturday, Jeff Brom, about Karloftis because he was the head coach at Purdue then. About what the Chiefs are getting Karloftis. This blast from the past. Shows you how good this guy's been and the motor he had. Well, 
without question, I think he's going to fit in perfect uh, with your ball club. Obviously, you have a championship-level team, and uh, George is uh, really a relentless player, uh, gives unbelievable effort, uh, works at it, probably the hardest work I've ever coached, wants to be great, wants to do special things, is a great teammate, uh, just never gives up on any play. So I just think, uh, you know, he's uh, been a great player for us since uh, day one uh, as a three-year starter. Uh, he plays injured, he plays nicked up, uh, and he's going to work extremely hard. He's got that type of personality as well that if you just tell him, hey, George, this isn't good enough, you need to do way better, he's going to figure out a way to, to get way better and, and, and put in the effort and time to do it. So I just think he's uh, excited to be there, excited to be a part of it, and he's very thankful for this opportunity. It's George Karloff. This is college coach Jeff Brom. A couple of years ago when they drafted him, two Super Bowls later, was that not 100% accurate on who and what he is? Was that not a 100% accurate assessment of who the guy is? Plays hurt, plays hard. You never have to worry about him. I mean, he ran his pro day without a shirt, and it was, it was freezing outside. Is that not who you thought you wanted? Oh, 100%. And, and I'll tell you what. We don't we don't name him because there's already one of these in the NBA, but George Garloftis is, is Greek and played a, a litany of sports, football, track, field, baseball, you know, water polo, which he went to the Greek national team for. You know that guy's yeah. got stamina. And that, I think, is 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 huge when you talk about his motor. You know, he's got a water polo background. That's some of the yes, best stamina does. you can have. Boom, he shows it directly on the yeah. football field. And then a follow-up question I asked Jeff Brom. Listen, he's, he's not Max Crosby yet. He's, he's not that effect yet. He's not that effect. But I do like his motor, and it reminded me of Max. When it happened, Max also came out of the uh, the MAC conference. So I'd asked him about that comparison. And, and you're exactly right. And I think, uh, you know, we actually played against Max in college here, and he was at a smaller school. And actually, you know, he did a great job when we played against him. Uh, he definitely, you could tell he was the best player on their defense. Uh, and I think, you know, George going against the competition we had each and every week, uh, which was a very tough schedule, was our best player. So he just got a lot of attention. He still was effective. Um uh, you know, uh, the interesting thing, I mean, we he had one year, second year, where he had a high ankle sprain, which is you, uh, you guys who cover football, sometimes yeah. that takes three, four, or five weeks. And he came back the next week, and while he shouldn't have played, he taped it up, he went out there, he wasn't near as effective, but he didn't care. That's just kind of how he is. And I know if Coach Reed or uh, Coach Bag or even Coach Cullen say, I need you to do this, you need to suck it up and do this, you're, you're not going to find anyone that's going to blink. Uh, uh, easier than than he than he won't, and he'll go out there and, and figure out a way to help, hopefully get it done. Hopefully, it turns into that Max Crosby's first year with Oakland, ten sacks. His second year, seven. His third year, eight. Before blowing up to twelve and a half, then fourteen and a half last year. So, you know, it took a couple. It took three years. It took to his fourth year before you start putting up major sack numbers. The twelve and a half. Do I think Carl Loftus can get twelve and a half? One hundred percent, I do. One hundred percent. He's already at double digits. So, yeah, he's already year, at double digits in, in the second year. So anyway, that's Jeff Brom on that situation. I talked to Vinny Iyer from Sporting News next. You're listening to After Hours with Dusty Likens on Six Ten Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Brought to you by Twin Peaks Eats, Drinks, Scenic Views. Hey, welcome back, Jay Binkley, Blake Schneider's producing the operation. Time now. Talk to one of my favorite dudes because it's time to talk draft from the sporting news, Vinny Iyer. He's been on Jeopardy. He's been a winner on Jeopardy before. He does the Locked On Network through uh, Odyssey there as well as far as the podcasts are concerned. And he's got some great articles on the Chiefs and the NFL as well. Good evening, Vinny. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, always enjoy talking to you. I really like that article that you uh, 
you had out recently on uh, Sporting News uh, about the Chiefs three-peating and how it uh, might be easier um, than people think. And I I got to think this, Vinny. When they go to the draft, they're going to be getting other weapons. This defense is already the youngest defense in the NFL. Why shouldn't people be thinking about a three-peat? Yeah, I mean, they're in really good position. Part of this is that they can consistently draft well. And sometimes the first-rounders don't work out. But when you look deeper in the draft and where they found all these defensive players uh, all the way through going back to linebacker, then the secondary, and then finding a really top first-round pick last year in George Karloftis. So they really know the types of defensive players they need. They go after them pretty well here. And this defense just has to be complementary to what the offense can do. We know the offense is always going to be dangerous. They can improve there as well with the offensive line, especially at tackle. So this is, again, considered by many a down Chiefs team, and it was still able to win the Super Bowl. So that's not good news for us league when the Chiefs get it done with maybe a few key holes. But, again, when you have the strength of the defense, you have the quarterback, you have the coach that's been there and done that, they're going to give you a lot of advantages. You're going to have a high floor as a team, and the Chiefs can now push toward that ceiling again. You know, the one thing about it, too, is, and, and people started really gravitating and understanding how good this defense was, because it was a special defense. Only one time did someone hit 27 points, and that was Green Bay just once. Only team in the NFL that didn't get 30, but... You know, a lot's been talked about. They played the number two offense in the NFL, the number three scoring offense, the number four, and the number six in the playoffs. In Miami, Frisco, Baltimore, and the Bills. So two, three, four, and six. But then on offense, the Chiefs faced the number one, the number three, and the number four scoring defenses. And people really didn't talk much about that. But Baltimore, San Francisco at three, Buffalo at four. Kansas City was number two uh, out of that group. But three of the top four scoring defenses – so as much as we look at this defense as offense struggling, Benny, they still got the job done against these great scoring defenses, and I don't think they got the credit they deserved. Yeah, and they evolved as the season went on and just figured out what Rashi Rice's role was going to be, and then they had comfort and trust in him along with Travis Kelsey, and then they kind of just realized, okay, these are guys we trust most. We'll involve the other guys. Occasionally, we'll get Isaiah Pacheco going in the running game, make sure we feed him the ball enough. That's all it took. You had Patrick Mahomes going back, extending plays. He made timely big passes downfield when they needed it. That's all they needed. Just needed that to happen by committee. And then Rice and Kelsey to keep coming through to move the chains. And some good running to facilitate Mahomes. So all that came to fruition. Mahomes also tends to raise his own running game in the playoffs where there's more at stake. He might not run as much in those situations in the regular season, but he knows when to do that. And we saw that become a big factor as well in these games. So I think, again, the Chiefs just kind of know how to play it in the regular season, know how to play it in the playoffs. And the coaching and preparation, that's really what always puts this team in position to succeed. Vinny, I like your mock that you mock draft that you put out on Sporting News. And it's fun. And one thing I always do, the first thing I always do, is count the quarterbacks and receivers taken. Because I'm curious at times, you know, if the Chiefs are picking at the end of the draft, which they've been doing, or, you know, if you're picking 32nd, are you really picking 22nd or 23rd when you think about the quarterbacks taken or the corners? But the record is six quarterbacks taken in 1983. The record is seven wide receivers taken in the first round in 2004. In 2020, we saw a record 13 go in the first and second round as far as wide receivers. 
Any of those three you think could fall? Which one would be the most likely to fall? I think you could look at wide receivers falling. I mean, there's a lot of depth early in this class that teams are going to go after. There's still some sorting out the middle of tier of the prospects. So you'd have a few more rise, but I think some Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Roma Dinze, these guys are kind of locked in there. And then a little bit of an extension for that would be Brock Bowers from tight end. So another impact receiver, but, you know, he's going to go pretty early in this draft as well. So a lot of receiving talent is out there, whether you're looking for the big guy on the outside, the deep threat, somebody who can work the slot, maybe a bigger possession guy. So there's all kinds of those type of receivers in this draft. And we saw the impact of rookie wide receivers taking all rounds last year. Yep. Rice and Zay Flowers, but then you had later in the draft Tank Dell and just guys all across the board making a big impact as rookies. So as these offenses kind of catch up and become more resembling in the NFL, there's going to be less of a learning curve for these receivers to have a big impact. Vinny, I'll ask you this question uh, from your national point of view because I'm curious. I asked it on the show earlier. So Puka gets taken in the fifth round. Rasheed Rice finishes number two of all just rookie wide receivers. Laporta had more catches than him, but as far as just rookie receivers, he was only behind Puka in catches and yards. So he's number two. So added Flowers and Addison, all these guys. But Puka goes in the fifth round, but he was the fourth selection in the fifth round to the Rams. How much credit should I give the Rams for drafting Puka? Yeah, there's a few issues with him, I think. First of all, I think if you're going to find a wide receiver gem, always look to run heavy offense where that guy wasn't displayed as much, but there was flashing enough potential there. And that's the thing is sometimes you don't get the big picture from the style of offense. Trying to be played in, I mean, keep in mind, uh, one of the greatest receivers of all time, Calvin Johnson, played in a big option offense there at Georgia Tech. So yeah. sometimes these receivers kind of get hidden in plain sight, so to speak. And he had some injury issues, so that was a concern there. But sometimes it's just also landing in the right system. And a guy and a coach that knows how to use you, and Sean McVay did that. He saw that he could be a big slot, but also a guy could stretch the field outside. And Andy Reid saw Rashi Wrights could be a big slot and got him into that role immediately. Sometimes he miscast people, and I think the Chiefs would say they miscast maybe Sky Moore, thinking he might have been an inside guy, and maybe he just didn't live up to that potential in that role, and sometimes that can happen. So I think that's where you're mainly seeing the receiver misses now is that, okay, he shows everything that he can be this, but then when they get to the NFL, it just can't be put together. So I think sometimes you got to think outside, okay, would he translate to this based on this kind of skill set with route running and size? And fortunately, they were able to rebound with Rice rather quickly in that position. Talking to Vinny Iyer, follow him on Twitter, at Vinny Iyer uh, from the Sporting News. And Vinny, in your mock draft, your latest one, I'm sure you'll do a, a lot of them. Brock Bowers, they don't stand a chance to get Bowers. There's two guys in this first round. I said, man, they would be great Chiefs. Obviously, Marvin Harrison, but it won't happen. And Brock Bowers could go anywhere from 5 to, I don't know, 14 or 15. Some have him going to the Bengals at 18. Some have him going 5th to the Chargers. Who knows? But what a fit that they would be. They would be my favorite guys in the first round. I don't know if you have favorites in the first round, but it would be Bowers and Harrison. And I don't think they have a chance at either. Yeah, I mean, it's going to take maybe an aggressive move yeah. that I don't no chance happening to go up the board. But I, I think 
that said, you can look at Jatavian Sanders from Texas. I like and him. If he's starting to climb up boards a little bit as an athletic tight end that they could target as a Travis Kelsey replacement, but for now, immediate maybe the immediate compliment that you can move around a little bit. So he's a guy to look at, and I think the wide receiver depth is there. Now, some people are torn on players uh, in the range of Keon Coleman from Florida State all the way through Brendan Rice of USC, but they have some potential as well. Here, Lad McConkey of Georgia is another guy that has uh, looked good so far in the All-Star Games and is out there and could have a big combine. And he's a guy that's just going to line up all over the field and make catches. I don't know if he's exactly the guy they're looking for, but I think a guy with speed, I, I think, is going to have to be the priority. Last year, I think the Chiefs maybe could have taken a longer look at Tank Dell and gotten that type of player, but I think that's what they need, somebody who t- can take top off a of defense that is a little bit more consistent than Marquez Valdez-Canning. And everyone knows his cap situation. They can get out of that pretty easily. They should probably take that out, given what they have to do with Chris Jones and LeJarrius Steed. So I, I think upgrading that speed receiver, getting someone who can fly, get downfield. Other guy I like is Adonai Mitchell also. They're out of Texas where you can get that field stretcher that uh, is going to make some big plays for you, and that's what the Chiefs, I think, need. That outside receiver is what's missing now that they've secured rights. Yeah, and you had A.D. Mitchell to Donnie Mitchell to the Chiefs, part of that great Texas court with Xavier Worthy there and Jatavian Sanders and Donnie Mitchell. How did, how did you – final question for you, Vinny, because I'm curious how you look at these and evaluate these because you've seen these situations in the NFL where if it's not the number one guy, the number two guy might have put up huge numbers, but maybe he did it because the number one guy was so good. Now, sometimes it doesn't matter. Like Jamar Chase was the number one, Justin Jefferson was a two – and they're both superstars. Like this year, you look at Washington and, and Romo Dunze and Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan and Worthy and A.D. Mitchell at Texas. How did you, Brian Thomas, Malik Neighbors at LSU, most of these teams, you know, not just one receiver but two, do you look at who guarded them? Like, for instance, LSU is playing Alabama. Do you look at who Kool-Aid was on or who Terry and Arnold was on? I mean, both of them very good corners. Is it tough to evaluate if teams have more than one receiver? Yeah, I think it can be. I think you have to kind of slot them into the roles. And sometimes you have a blueprint to do that. And it's interesting that now you have a team, the Seahawks, that are pretty much barring Washington's offense. So that's going to be interesting that there is a translation there to say that, okay, this offense could seamlessly go to the NFL. So you start looking at Odense as the guy that's the big play type of alpha, maybe the Jamar Chase in this situation. And you see who's the T. Higgins, and you look at who's the Tyler Boyd, and you kind of just uh, break it down that way. And, and again, the key for any receiver to succeed in the NFL, they got to go into a place where the team is comfortable using them to maximize their skill set, not putting them in the wrong spot, whether it's outside or inside, not putting them in a position of uncomfortable nature where they're facing top corners. They need to be maybe complementary guys. Some people need to realize, okay, this is a very good receiver as long as he's not facing that top shutdown corner, and that's fine. If that's someone's role, that is an important role. So that's how you do it. You look at the film, look at how they were used, how that can translate if somebody was misused or there's some potential untapped there that you could use at a different spot. So there's all kinds of things you can evaluate with receivers. But, again, the main thing you're looking for, routes, hand speed, all the 
basic things to start out with, and then you try to figure out where they would fit best in the NFL. Vinny, great stuff. Can't wait for the uh, combines next week <laughs> in the draft at the end of April. Um, the offseason, the NFL makes 12 months a year count. Yeah, the, it should be a lot of fun. I think this is going to be a crazy offseason ahead, so buckle up. A lot of quarterback movement and just I, I think this – we've seen a couple nuts offseasons in a row. I think this is going to top both of us. Vinny, always good talking to you. Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News. Thanks, Vinny. Yep, thank you. Thank you. There you go, Vinny Iyer. Because I'm curious about that, Blake. I'll discuss that more after the break. But uh, these teams with multiple wide receivers, because you always have to kind of be buyer beware, right? This is where they get paid the big bucks to pick which one they want. We talk about that next. You're listening to After Hours with Dusty Likens on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Brought to you by Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views. Welcome back, Jay Binkley, Blake Steeners. Blake, did you watch the uh, NBA All-Star Game? I did not. I saw some of the dunk contests, but I did not watch the All-Star Game. It's uh, gone a little downhill for me. I don't like yeah. the non-competition anymore. Yeah, I like the uh, dunk competition in the three-point. Enjoy it. The dunk competitions, is all. it's turned in 100% to jumping over people. Like, that is, yeah. like, literally everything. Well, if you see the evolution of the dunk contest, and I truly believe we have not had an amazing dunk contest since... Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine were battling it out back, and I believe it was 2016. Dominic uh, Wilkins, Spud Webb. Of course, of course. But, yeah, it's 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 hard now because how do you come up with great dunks without using props? Well, you, you have to. I, I did like Mac McClung winning back-to-back wearing his uh, Osceola Magic G League shirt. Oh, yeah. Like, they, I enjoyed it, that. But they, they're going to have to jump over somebody else besides Shaq, like maybe a car or something. Yeah. I mean, it was cool when Spud Webb – or not Spud Webb. Uh, I'm sorry, Nate Robinson – Nate Robinson, I think, jumped over Dwight Howard, which I thought was cool because two guys competing in the same tournament, and he did it. But, um, yeah, I, I just think it's either the acrobatics have to get better as far as doing something without a prop, doing something unbelievable, um, or it just – because I think we start to get a little bit uh, desensitized to how amazing the athletic ability just to dunk is. Can you dunk, man? Because I can't dunk. No. Yeah, okay. So just you that – used to be able to. Just that in itself – is is a, a very hard athletic thing to do. But I think it needs, a, you know, we, we kind of get desensitized to it. Yeah, it's always the shorter guys that's more impressive. Of course. You know, when they go reach up. But they got to do something about the – well, asking the NBA players to do that in-season tournament, and I do know they get paid when they when they get to the semifinals and finals. It's, it's fine, and that's good that they're getting money for it because it counts as regular season games except for the championship. But that's too much. This In the All-Star game, has basically been the Pro Bowl. The last couple of years. Well, and, and it also stinks when you don't have the, the stars that you want. I mean, how long have we been clamoring for LeBron James to be in the, the dunk contest? And he, he just won't do it. You won't see it. You won't see it. But anyway, that's that's that. But Vinny Iyer, um, he's got the Chiefs going 80 Mitchell in the first round. What do you have, Blake? Because remember, the record is seven. I think they top it. I think they hit the record for wide receivers in the first round. Seven is the record. Ugh. I feel like the the wide receiver is kind of like the running back position, but for a different. There's so much depth in the wide receiver position, especially this year. Um, I think a first round run and a second round run will happen. Oh, 100. percent I think, I, and I'd be interested to see who's the first team to let that let the let the floodgates go, because I think it's definitely going to be a big run. But I I don't know if I've got a pick yet. I haven't done enough studying for for my guys who I would really like to hone in on. I know you have, obviously. You're the yeah. draft guy around here. Yeah, we we totally do that. But I would. Uh, I would 100% go with wide receiver. And I, 
You know, you could be talked out of it because I know that the the talking out of it is uh, prevalent right now only because the Chiefs, you know, won without Tyreek Hill and they've won back-to-back Super Bowls without him. And the, and the adage is, you know, Mahomes can take average wide receivers and win a world championship with them. And that's 100% true. Like, that is 100% true. He wins a Super Bowl with a group of wide receivers that were well first in the NFL in drops. First. And he did it. And that was hell of impressive. As I mentioned, they beat the number one, the number three, and the number four scoring defenses in the playoffs. That is amazing in and of itself. But you talk about the defense. The defense was absolutely 100% dominant, and I don't think they win a Super Bowl. Well, they don't without this defense being that good. But when this offense of the Chiefs, number one was Baltimore, 16.5 points a game. Number three was San Francisco at 17.5. Number four was Buffalo at 18.3 points per game. The Chiefs were number two on that list. But from one to four, take out the Chiefs, they beat them. And then offensive-wise, when the uh, when the offense of the opposing team was out, Chiefs shut them down. Second highest scoring team in the NFL, Miami. Third highest, San Francisco. Fourth highest, Baltimore. Miami was 29.2 points a game. San Francisco was 28.9. Baltimore was 28.4. The Bills were 26.5. That was an average of 113 points a game. Chiefs held them to 63. That was unbelievable. But as far as what the Chiefs did to these top defenses, top scoring defenses, that's impressive too. But you don't hear those numbers, Blake. Like, again, they beat the number two, three, four, and six scoring offenses. But they beat the number one, the number three, and the number four scoring defenses. As Emmanuel Ocho said, I don't always agree with him, this might have been the greatest Super Bowl run. It's hard to argue. Beating number one and number two on the road in the AFC, beating number one in the NFC. They beat both number one seeds and a two seed. And then you play the high-flying Miami Dolphins at home as your first game. A team that almost won their division and kept Buffalo out of the playoffs if they would have won their final regular season game. Well, and not only all those amazing stats on top of it, each team you played had a vendetta against you. Miami Dolphins, Tyreek Hill coming into Arrowhead, had a vendetta against you. Josh Allen, the man who just can't seem to get over the Patrick Mahomes hump, had a vendetta against you. The Ravens, who were out to try to prove something, who have lost to us in the playoffs before, had a vendetta. Oh, and then not to mention in the Super Bowl, the 49ers, who you've already previously beat in a Super Bowl before, were out to get you, and all of those giants fell. They had a lot of reasons, and the Chiefs became the villains. They accepted it. They adopted it. They liked it. They played on the road. I, I'm good with it. I love Again, it. Again, Mahomes' numbers, they're better on the road. He's got more touchdowns, 119 to 100. He's got 1,642 yards more passing on the road than at home in just two more games. He's got 5% higher completion percentage on the road. Well, and he also, if I'm not mistaken, he either became the second or first all-time leading rusher in the playoffs as a quarterback. For the Chiefs. For the Chiefs, he's their uh, all-time leading rusher. Is it, so is he second all-time then in the playoffs, in the postseason? Because I, I know I saw this stat, and I knew he was number one for the Chiefs. I but, believe he's either second or third maybe all-time quarterback rushing yards in the postseason. No, it's he's weighed in the list on that. Really? Emmitt Smith, 1,586. No, 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 for a quarterback, I'm sorry. Oh, for a quarterback. For a quarterback, yes. Definitely not the all-time leading rusher. Okay, I was going to say. He's the anchor. For a quarterback, I'll look that up. Um, Steve Young, 594 yards in a 22 games played. Josh Allen, 10 games played. Number two, 563. Russell Wilson, number uh, three, 
with 527. Mahomes number four okay. with 524. So he's fourth. So he's fourth. But he only needs what uh, he only needs to get to 594 to be the all-time quarterback leading rusher. So he needs to go from 524 to 594. So 50, 60 yards. That's about three plays for Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> so yeah, hey, Russell Wilson, he's just got three more yards. So just, yeah, just scramble right there and he's got it. So yeah, he's going to have that record too. No, it's I mean that entire that entire run Just 70 yards behind Steve Young. And to to think that everybody thought the Pat couldn't play on the road, that 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 whole storyline never made sense. And the funny thing is Steve Young did all his damage between like 32 and 38. Yeah. Mahomes 4 years to even get to that. He made a Hall of Fame career just between age 32 and 38. Anyway, we need to take a time out. We come back. By the way, the uh, Jay Southland Toe Service text line, 913-586-7610. If you have a question for Ron, what are your top five Chiefs needs this offseason? We'll address them. I'm going to address them uh, with Ron Cop here in just a minute. You're listening to After Hours with Dusty Likens on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Brought to you by Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views.